All praise is due to Allah. We praise Him, we worship Him. We give thanks and we give salams on the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah is the only source of guidance and whoever He guides cannot go astray and whoever He chooses to let to go astray can never be misguided. Inshallah, we'll start the second session with Sheikh Mamdouh Muhammad who was born in Egypt in 1949 and is currently the Associate Professor at the American University in Virginia, USA. The Sheikh travels widely and gives lectures and I believe has participated in this forum for the past few years. He obtained his first degree from Ain Shams University in Egypt and he received both his Master's and his PhD from George Mason University in the USA. His most famous work is the Hajj and Umrah from A to Z. So for those of you who are thinking of performing the Hajj and Umrah this year, inshallah, it's a very good guide to that. Do we have that available at the seminar? If, if, if you made Hajj without using this book, you have to redo your again. <laughs> Don't take me serious. And yes, it's available there. Yeah. It's available from the stalls here. Sheikh, Sheikh Mamdouh. Okay. And I also have another book uh, which is also available here, and it's the Salat Islamic Prayer from A to Z. And so that's available in the stall at I'm sure a discounted price. Sheikh Mamdouh will be speaking for about 40 to 50 minutes, after which we'll open the floor for questions and answers. Again, we'll take written questions and questions from the floor. We'll try to get through as many of them as possible. So we'd ask you to keep your questions brief, and also we'd ask the Sheikh if he could keep his answers brief as well so we can go through as many of those. So inshallah, we'll hand over to the Sheikh to uh, speak for 40 to 45 minutes. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Ahibbati fillah uhayyikum bitahiyyat al-Islam Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh First I'll start with a couple of du'as that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept and then after that I'll proceed into my lecture Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna attiba'ahu وَأَرِنَا الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَرْزُقْنَا اجْتِنَابَهُ O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, show us the truth as the truth and guide us to follow it. And show us the bottle, the falsehood as falsehood and guide us to avoid it. اللهم ربنا آت نفوسنا تقواها وزكها أنت خير من زكاها أنت وليها ومولاها. First, I would like to say that to remind you of the topic of today, which is the priorities of following the Sunnah of the Prophet So we have four elements here, priorities, and following, and the way, and of Muhammad So this is how it is read from left to right. But because I am uh, an Arab, and the Arabs have different mentalities. So I'm going to cover the topic from right to left. So I'm going to start with 
talking about Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then the way, and then after that, following, and finally, I will end up with the issue of priorities. So I'll deal it in a reverse way. So some of these issues that I will handle will be on a very basic level, and this is because I change it the way I present my topic because I've seen lots of new faces this time than the previous time. And this really added happiness to my happiness uh, because most of those people that are new are of young age, which is really a very positive sign. And uh, alhamdulillah, also an honor to uh, GMAS to have uh, new generations coming to attend these conferences and benefit from them. Why Muhammad وسلم, and why not other persons? or other prophets. As we know that it's part of our belief, inseparable part of our Iman, that we witness that there is La ilaha illallah and Muhammad Rasulullah. So one part of this witness is not complete, is not enough, is not adequate by itself. Uh, there should be the other part that Muhammad وسلم, is his messenger because he's the one who brought the message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if there is no carrier of a message, uh, so the message would be incomplete and everybody would claim that I am inspired by God directly. And this is one of the wisdoms why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent messengers to human beings. Uh, secondly, the easiest way to achieve unity is to follow one and only one. The easiest way to achieve unity is to follow one. One thing, one person, one way. And the easiest way for Muslims to have achieved, to achieve unity amongst themselves is to follow the Prophet and that's why you see the unity of the Muslims in the first two or three generations was so strong. Uh, unlike what, we happen, what happens now, because we found lots of people are away from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. Every time we get a group or an individual or a country or whatever level we are talking about is keeping or getting something new away from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, this ummah becomes disunited or more disunited. And the only way to get it back is all of us, we would go back to follow one person, to follow one messenger, the messenger of Allah ﷻ, Muhammad ﷺ. So it's the easiest way to achieve unity among Muslims is that to go back to basics and follow Muhammad ﷺ. Second, let me go to the other part of the lecture, which is the way. As you hear all the Imams in Khutbat al-Jum'ah, uh, most of them, if not all of them usually, they talk about inna khayr al-hadi hadi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The best guidance is the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there are many verses in the Quran, one of them, one of the most famous verses in the Quran, when Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was explaining this verse in the Quran by himself in one of the khutbas and he stood up and he drew a line, a straight line 
in front of the people and then he drew different tilting lines on the right and on the left and he said sallallahu alaihi wasallam inna hadha and this is a, a, a verse in the quran inna hadha sirati mustaqiman fattabi'uhu wa la tattabi'u as-subula fatafarraqa bikum an sabili indeed this is my sirat and it is mustaqim and it is straight fattabi'uhu follow it and do not follow the other ways it will separate you and it will disunite you and it will keep you away from my path and uh, this is very important when you read the quran when you find allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about for example an-nur and al-dhulumat the word an-nur comes in the quran in the singular form because it's one way only it's one light only it's one guidance only whereas the word dhulumat darkness comes in the plural form which is darkness is if we can make this plural so it comes in plural versus the word light that comes in the singular form telling us that's only one light there's only one way that would lead to paradise which is the way of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and this was the explanation of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by drawing these tilting lines so if someone would say that i'm following the way of sheikh so and so I'm following the way of Imam so and so I'm following the way of uh, my country home back and I'm following the way of my parents I'm following the way all these are not satisfactory answers all these are incorrect answers the answer is should be that we are following the way of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and again there is another verse in surah yusuf the prophet uh, that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Uh, in this verse qul hadhihi sabili this is my way ad'u ila allah ala basiratin this is my way and i invite people i call people to the way of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ala basiratin on knowledge on ilm ana wa man ittaba'ani and those who follow me they use the same method وَسُبْحَانَ وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ So now we know why the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Then there are many verses, hundreds if not ten, if not more, of verses in the Qur'an that talk about following the Prophet ﷺ directly. I'm saying this because after the first two or three generations, we had many groups and many sects. that starting following pure hawa ahlul ahwa the pure reasoning and reasoning if it is away from the guidance of allah would definitely lead to deviance reasoning by itself is not enough because the religion is not taken basically or mainly by reasoning and i think you've heard khutbah al-jum'a and one example that was given to us that ali ibn abi talib radiyallahu anhu when he made this comment he said that law kana ad-din bil-aql if deen is taken only by reasoning 
wiping over the khuffain before the prayer in order to make the prayer shouldn't have been from the top it should have been from the bottom of the feet if it is reasoning because this is the part that touch it to the earth so it makes sense what he said definitely makes sense but religion is not taken by that way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is testing us because of the simple truth that Allah knows best if a Muslim believes that Allah knows best he would take whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks him or asks her to do whether he or she would reach the wisdom behind this or not finally the big truth is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many verses in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُ عَنْهُ Whatever the Prophet وسلم, gave you, commanded you to do, follow it. And whatever, and I can say, follow it blindly, whether you reach the rational or the wisdom behind it or not. You're not asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to look for that. But if you want to make research, that's very good. However, because the Prophet ﷺ, the rule is, وَمَا يَمْتِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ does not say anything out of his whims or wishes or desires. Everything that he says is wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if he does, if the Prophet ﷺ does, Anything of this, he says something out of his own thinking and out of his own desire. He would tell the Muslims that this is my own thinking. In other words, you can suggest anything in this area. Otherwise, if he didn't specify, that means everything that the Prophet ﷺ says is wahi. To go deeper into this, even the jokes of the Prophet ﷺ are wahi. This might sound a little bit strange. Even the jokes of the Prophet ﷺ are wahi. And there are some Islamic rules that were taken from this. The Prophet ﷺ was kidding and was joking with Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha one time. And look into this. He was talking about death. Even in his jokes he was talking about death. And he was talking to Sayyidah Aisha and he told her, Ya Aisha, don't you like to die before me? He was telling his wife, don't you want to die before me? And Aisha radiallahu inquisitively she asked him, and why is that, the messenger of Allah? He said, at least I would pray Allah for you, and pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. And I would wash you by my hands. And from what the Prophet sallallahu said, some fuqaha took out this rule that it is okay, although the marital contract is already off, is already broken between the husband and the wife by the death of one of them, it is okay for the spouse to wash the other spouse even after death. They took a rule, an Islamic ruling, from this joke of the Prophet ﷺ. And of course, you know Aisha, 
anha, she was very jealous and she made a very nice comment to the Prophet just to complete the story. She told him, I know, and after that you go back and play with women. Meaning, of course, with his wives. She was jealous even after she will die. She was jealous that the Prophet will go and enjoy his life with, with the other wives. Then whatever the Prophet gives you, take it and follow it. And whatever he prohibits you from that, keep away from it. And there are many verses. This is one of the beautiful verses that I usually use uh, in, in, in proving how important following the sunnah of the Prophet It says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فلا وربك لا يؤمنون حتى يحكموك فيما شجر بينهم ثم لا يجدوا في أنفسهم حرجا مما قضيت ويسلموا تسليما This verse is very unique. It has ten emphatic forms. As if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is emphasizing this meaning by ten different ways. Linguistically speaking, I'll go over them very quickly. First, fala, la. What's the meaning of la in Arabic? Huh? No? No? This is incorrect. La in this verse means yes. So be careful when you read Arabic, by the way. So when you read, La uqsimu bihad al-balad, it doesn't mean that I don't swear by this country. It means the opposite. It means I swear, needless to swear. So this is an expression that means needless to swear. That means I swear. So be careful when you deal with Arabic. So don't take a word and isolate it and try to understand it. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ That means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that needless to swear. So the first, this is an emphatic form in Arabic. The second here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by whom? We know that in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, as we know, has the right to swear by any of his creatures. وَالشَّمْسِ وَضُحَاهَا وَالْقَمَرِ إِذَا دَلَاهَا وَالْفَجْرِ وَالْعَصْرِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by all these creations. However, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by whom? By himself. And this tells you how important this verse is. Allah is swearing by himself, by the Lord of Muhammad. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ it tells you, you have to pause. Allah didn't say, وَالْعَصْرِ وَالْفَجْرِ وَالْضُحَى وَالشَّمْسِ But here he's swearing by himself. Try to imagine that Allah swears by himself, the most important being in this universe. And Muslims should pause. And that's why this is how the companions dealt with the sunnah of the Prophet when they took this issue, this, this verse from the Qur'an. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ and here in particular, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala added his name to the name of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu He didn't swear 
by the Lord of the, the worlds, Rabbil Alameen, or Rabbil Nas, or Rabbil Malaika, or Rabbil Jinn. But here in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifies the Lord of Muhammad. And this gives Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam this high status. And tells us how important to follow the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ يَا مُحَمَّدَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ They are not considered as believers. لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى You know this structure? لَا حَتَّى It looks like لَا إِلَّا You know لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ So it says No iman is considered complete unless this would happen. What should happen? فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ Until they take you, Muhammad, as an arbitrator, as a judge amongst themselves. فِيمَا In everything شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ In everything that rises amongst themselves. In any question that rises amongst the believers, if they don't go back to Muhammad and take him sallallahu alayhi wa as an arbitrator, as, an, as a judge, they are not considered believers. Or at least they are not considered complete believers. But the verse means really they are not considered believers. And here, they are not considered believers. In everything that rises between them. Now, now, people would say, Muhammad is not alive. How can we take him as an arbitrator? And this is a very valid question. Yes, Muhammad is not alive, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept the dhikr, kept the sunnah of the Prophet alive. And when we mean the sunnah, of course, we mean the authentic sunnah. Not the weak sunnah, because the weak sunnah means that the Prophet didn't say it. So we can go back to the sunnah of the Prophet. We can go back to whatever Muhammad brought to us and we take it as an arbitrator. If we don't do this, we are not fulfilling the conditions of Iman. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُ Is this enough? No. Listen to the... End of the verse. ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتَ ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُ فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتَ Then, and just highlight the word ثُمَّ here, and it tells you the, the benefit of learning Arabic. And scholars, they commented on and this then instead of using fa in the Quran. Because had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used fa, it would have been a problem. Why is that? Thumma gives us relax of time. Then they should have no resistance or no ill feeling of whatever decree you take. Why is that? There might be a decision. When you go to a judge, I thought that you wrote something. Are you just to make this way? Are you still 
you are in a better situation than the situation of the sisters. Yes. They are in a room that's boiling. Yes. I, I lost probably more than three, three, <laughs> three bottles of water during my lecture there. Then after that, you know when you go to a judge, he would take a decision. The decision is either for you or against you. Right? It's either for your benefit or against you. And of course, you have in feelings in your heart, you don't like this decision. This with any decision that Muhammad that might be against your wish and desire, you should after some time remove this ill feeling from your heart. If this ill feeling does not go from your heart, you are not a believer. Because you might accept the decree or the decision by law enforcement. But this is not the case. You have to accept it willingly. And here is the wisdom that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why Allah used the term thumma. Because it takes some time. We are human beings. Our hearts cannot change, cannot flip in a second or two. It might take some time. But it has to be done at a certain time. At a certain time you should feel that whatever decree that Prophet Muhammad took is nothing but the truth. And you have to accept it willingly. And this is the essence of the meaning of the word Islam. Surrender. No one of us likes to get up in the morning at 5 o'clock or at sometimes at 4 o'clock to do Salat al-Fajr. It's not an easy thing. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, it's not an easy thing. Indeed, it is a big issue. Except for khashi'een. Except for those who fear Allah. Who know that they will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a certain day. And he will ask them about the prayer. And therefore they do it willingly to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Otherwise it becomes very difficult. That's why the verse said, Then, they should surrender. Taslima. And again, if you know Arabic, this, is, this falls under maf'ul mutlaq. Absolute object. That means they have to absolutely accept what Muhammad said 100%. Not 99%. This is not acceptable. If you have 1% doubt, you are following the footsteps of the Satan. 1% doubt. So how about 20% doubt? Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, udkhulu fi silmi kafa. Accept Islam as a whole. And do not follow the footsteps, the footsteps of the Satan. That means that if you don't accept Islam as a whole, you are following some footsteps of the Shaitan. This is one of the most important verses in the Quran, at least from my own perspective, to show us how important is to follow the sunnah of the Prophet 
there are tens and hundreds of verses in the Quran that uh, confirm this meaning I, and probably I will come to some of them later inshallah now here are some general guidelines for the sunnah or for following the sunnah and here is the thorny issue that some people might argue about it and I hope Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would guide me and would save me uh, first among the priorities we come to the issue of the priorities first seeking the authentic sunnah the authentic knowledge as we said is one of the most important thing because there is nothing that can be done in the whole world unless it is based on theory or knowledge anything that you do this class is made on based on some theories scientific theories this table is based on some scientific theories this class is made after scientific theories so there should be theories. there should be knowledge knowledge before you do anything so this is how important know that there is no God except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so knowledge should precede anything after that and after knowledge we should go deep and understand because knowledge without understanding is like what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran and he condemned it uh, some nations by saying the likeness of those who were given the Torah to carry it and benefit from it. Unlike the example of a donkey that carries books on its back. Would the donkey benefit from these books? No. So just the pure knowledge in itself is lacking something, is lacking huh, to get benefit from it. And we cannot get benefit from the knowledge without understanding, without deep understanding. And this meaning is, is mentioned in the Quran in many places. And after that, not just understanding, huh, the application. We should apply what we learned and what we understood. We should apply it in our life. And I think we heard a lot of things. One of them was from Dr. Jafar Sheikh Idris when he said that it's not a matter of knowing such huge number of knowledge. And as one of the companions mentioned that there will be uh, few reciters at that time, uh, a lot of reciters at the time of the Prophet or the first generation. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of pe few reciters and a lot of people who understand, who have fiqh. Vice versa, in later, in uh, advanced life, in, in, in advanced times, such as our time nowadays, you would find probably many reciters. There is an approximate number of 9.5 million reciters of the Quran nowadays, by the way. Versus this number, if you can say, do we have 100 famous scholars in the world? The answer would come no. It's a big number of reciters and few number of fuqaha or ulama. And this is really the thing that's needed, more needed. So the essence of my words here is that it's not just the pure knowledge, the knowledge of memorizing and the knowledge of saying things, but the knowledge that would make us what fear Allah. 
إنما العلم الخشية The essence of the علم The real outcome of the علم is that we fear Allah سبحانه وتعالى إنما العلم الخشية Then after that, of course, this knowledge should be programmed in a way that would guarantee, yes, effectiveness than other ways. For example, if we focus on the Tawheed first, as the ayah said, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ This is the most important thing that you seek knowledge for. And this is an advice for the parents uh, who live, uh, now we don't say the West and the East, because the whole world became like a village. Whatever happens, people witness it all over the world. In the past, probably 20 years ago, we used to say in the West and in the East. But people nowadays, if you ask every parent, what would you like to see your child be? Say that I would like him to be a doctor or an engineer. A doctor, an engineer, and a doctor, an engineer. You don't find people saying, we need our children to be scholars. You don't find parents who do that. I'm sure that among the new generation, alhamdulillah, we have this trend. Because they know that the most important thing in this universe, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ So knowledge about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some people would say that it's okay, it doesn't, it doesn't contradict. So we need him an engineer uh, to be a good an engineer and a good Muslim. And we say no. We need him to be a good Muslim and then after that an engineer. So it's just flipping the two words. A good Muslim first, and then to be an engineer or a doctor second. It's not vice versa. And most of the parents, because they focus on the engineer, on the doctor, and that's why the outcome, that's what we see all over the world. Teach him about Allah first. Teach him the Tawheed first. Teach him these Aqaid first. And then after that, let him be the most famous doctor in the world. This is what we need. And I think it's, it's a matter of how to see uh, the, 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 the picture from a pure Islamic perspective. Then after these aqaid, as I will give you some examples, inshallah, in the seerah of the Prophet wasallam, teach him the halal and the haram. After knowing these aqaid that are relevant to tawheed, teach him the halal and the haram, and at the same time teach him the Islamic manners. And I think this is one of the most effective da'wah tools nowadays. And unfortunately, I'll give you a couple of examples. One example, we hear common, uh, this common saying that some people when uh, they become Muslims, revert to Islam or convert Islam, they would say that, Alhamdulillah, we became Muslims uh, through the book of Allah, not through the behavior of the Muslimin meaning that there is a big mismatch between our behavior and as Muslims and our akhlaq as Muslims and between uh, the Qur'an, what the Qur'an and the Sunnah says. Uh, the, uh, the other example, and I'm sorry to say that one time I was invited by a business Muslim man in one of the states, in the United States, and the first time for me, to visit him and he took me uh, from the airport by his car and when we approached the business place we found approximately 15 16 cars so before I reached there I told him your green Camry is yours isn't it and he was shocked 
I said, how did you know? It's the first time to come to. How did you know that the green Camry is mine? I, simply, I told him, simply because it's not standing straight. It was standing tilting like that. It was the only car among the 16 cars that it was not standing straight. It was tilting like that. I know it was tough on him, but we have to teach each other. Is the only car among the other cars that's not straight. There should be something wrong with us. I told them, there should be something wrong with us. And this is the example that we don't want to show the, the, the non-Muslims, if we want to invite. We should tell them that we are on your level in all the etiquettes and the adapts in life, and we are above you in many other issues especially the issue of Tawheed and worshipping Allah. But at least we tell them that we are. In all these common morals and etiquettes of the human beings, we should be, if not on the top, at least we should be on equal levels. But we are much ahead of you in knowing Allah and knowing Tawheed and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. This is, these are some examples that we really need to pay attention to. Because... Uh, look at the verse when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and praised Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Quran. What verse is that? Do you recall? How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the Quran? One of the most famous verses. Huh? وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Indeed, you are on the best of the manners. And you see here, some scholars say that, you see, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this verse, described the manners of the Prophet sallallahu He did not describe the tawheed huh, and the knowledge that the Prophet had, because these issues of tawheed and knowledge should be translated into, finally, into manners. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described and focused and praised the, the, the manners of the Prophet Muhammad because that's what the people see, what people see from us. If, if what we know is not translated into manners and into actions, as you see that some people might be affected negatively by the behavior of the Muslims. And as the Prophet وسلم, uh, mentioned himself, إِنَّمَا بُعِثْتُ I was sent you to, to perfect, to complete the best of the manners for you. And of course, these manners, and I'm not going to go into a lot of details because we have lots of disputable things coming down the road. Uh, the, the akhlaq with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the akhlaq with how to behave with with. with by, by, by with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what we mean with Allah, to worship Him alone, not to associate anyone else with Him. Uh, by showing our manners with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as we know that one of the verses in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasulihi. Let me ask you a question. What is today? What is today? Huh? Sunday. Yes. The companions were asked the same questions, but their answer was different. When Prophet Muhammad asked them about 
the same question. What is today? Their answer was what? Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. All of them knew that it was the day of Arafah. It was a very famous day. But none of them dared to say to the Prophet ﷺ by saying Allahu. They didn't say this is the day of Arafat. But all of them said Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam. They were applying this verse that says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tuqaddimu bayna yadayillahi wa rasooli. Do not suggest, do not say anything in front of Allah or in front of His Messenger before you know whether Allah said something or the Prophet said something about it. And this, I think, if we go back to this, we should teach ourselves. Now, you ask any person a question, he would give you a very, very quick fatwa. On the air. Is it okay to marry a non-Muslim woman? Would say, very, go ahead. Do it now. Oh, why didn't you do it yesterday? It's, you, you find all the people are making suggestions to each other without asking themselves, did Allah say anything about it? Did Muhammad say anything about it? See, in the battle, who was in the battle of Khandaq, if I'm not mistaken, when the Prophet suggested something and the companions told him, told him, asked him, is it your suggestion, is it wahi? from Allah or is it your suggestion? And he said, no, it's my suggestion. They said, now we can suggest. Before that, we should know, is it something from Allah? So this tells us, before we suggest, we feel, before we become problem solvers in the issue of religion, right? we are allowed to be problem solvers in anything in life, but not in issue of religion. I'm sure that you know uh, this problem solver in uh, California. He found that lots of Muslims are coming to Friday. Some of them miss part of Friday prayer. And the mosques don't take all the, mos the, the, the Muslims at one prayer. So he had a very good solution. He said that why shouldn't Muslims pray Salat al-Jum'ah on Sunday? Smart, right? Yeah. He said it, I mean, he, he thought that he's a very smart person. Because Sunday is a day of a week end, and Muslims don't work, so why shouldn't they pray the prayer of Salat al-Jum'ah Friday on Sunday? When, when people are not aware of these verses in the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet, they may suggest lots of things that each suggestion would take them to hellfire. See the importance of following the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. He simply, he is a naive person. But he was brought up to be a problem solver. Say yes, we say yes. In worldly matters, we need you to be the best problem solvers. But in religious issues, you shouldn't be like that. In fact, the Muslims just turned everything upside down. In worldly manners, uh, they are not on the top of anything. Even uh, football or soccer, right? Yeah. 
But in issues of religions, each of them is a mufti. Each of them suggests and brings up new ideas. And this is not the way, this is not how Islam should be. This is not how Islam should be. And this tells us how important. Ask people, ask people, ask people. Look into books, understand. Alhamdulillah, you have the internet and you know these good websites that you can get the answer from. We have a lot of access to knowledge now, but we don't use them. Uh, again, we should know the etiquette of behaving with the Muslims with many ayahs. Let's say how, how tender and how merciful the Muslims should be among themselves. And they shouldn't be the same way with the non-Muslims. They should be more tender with Muslims than, than the non-Muslims. They should keep away the dispute among themselves. They should go back to the sunnah of the Prophet and take it as an arbitrator. They should abide by bihablillahi, by the rope of Allah, by the religion of Allah. They should not separate from each other. All these etiquettes that in dealing with Muslims, they should be more merciful and more tender in dealing with each other. Uh, also in dealing with the kuffar, they should use the way the Prophet ﷺ did. أُدْعُوا إِلَى سَبِيلِ رَبِّكَ بِالْحِكْمَةِ وَالْمَوْعِضَةِ الْحَسَنَةِ وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنَةِ And the scholars explain, uh, argue with them with the way that's better than others. Whenever you see a way that's more effective than another, use it. Use it the way. So we're talking about the ways we should be very uh, innovative in the ways, very creative in the ways, but not in the fundamentals. Now let me go back to uh, deal with how the Prophet ﷺ, how the companions, how the companions complied, and what was the methodology of the Prophet ﷺ. And this becomes our sunnah for us to follow. Before that, there are some beliefs that if we understand they will solve probably 99% if not more of our problems. A verse like, like this verse, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينَ Today I completed the religion for you. I perfected it for you. And I selected Islam to be your religion. Period. From this verse, it tells us there is nothing in the world that will happen that's relevant to issues of religion without having a basis for it in this religion. The religion is complete. No one can add anything to this religion. Period. So, whenever we hear something about that, something that's added to this religion, we know that this is an innovation. Bidah. Add to the worldly matters. This is not bid'ah, but not to the religion. So the religion is complete and it is perfect. And there is no way for you to suggest something to add or to delete from this religion. This is one of the basic verses that would guide people not to deviate from the religion. Period. There is nothing that will happen until the day of judgment without having reference to it in the Quran and the Sunnah. In, relevant, in relation to halal and haram. There should be basis for it in the Quran. So because some people nowadays, they say, no, we are living in, in an age that's different from the age of the Prophet. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Of course, yes. In terms of means, yes. 
Otherwise, Islam wouldn't be a religion for all mankind and this is the last religion. We can expect another religion to handle these issues if Islam is incomplete. But Islam is complete. So there should be something. So this tells us we have to go and research and study and ask people of knowledge, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ in order to know how to relate these new things. Transplantation, for example. Transplanting, yeah. This probably was not very common at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, although it was in some cases, like cases of dents. People used to take dents from others and, and use it or uh, make some dents and use it. In, in a way, there was some sort of root of it. But is it halal or haram? There should be some bases, some guidelines in the Quran and the Sunnah that will guide you. Definitely, we have to believe in this. The Prophet وسلم, uh, the methodology of the Prophet, that it was, is very important for us. Uh, and as we know that, every Muslim probably knows that, the Prophet spent 13 years in Mecca teaching people about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his names and his attributes, and about uh, paradise and about hellfire, without giving them the rules of halal and haram. Establishing the faith. And this is something that, that we really need to work on ourselves and to work on Muslims. Uh, in our families, we need to work on new converts. We need to know that the companions used to say that we used to learn Iman before we learn Quran. So, because Iman is the thing that the faith that we need to increase because this is the thing that will open our hearts to the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know that this Iman increases and decreases. It decreases by good deeds and by ta'at, and it decreases by bad deeds and ma'asi. And therefore we need all of us to increase our good deeds and eliminate our bad deeds in order, for, uh, in order to uh, increase our Iman. And then after that the Prophet ﷺ started teaching them about the halal and the haram. Uh, let me again say that Aisha commented on this by saying that the Prophet ﷺ didn't start teaching people about uh, uh, avoiding not drinking wine and not gambling. And had he done that, the people would not have followed him. Because this is not the main priority. Not drinking wine and not gambling is the main priority. The main priority is to worship Allah alone and to have tawheed in your heart. Then after that, you come to something that's less important than this. So we need to put the priorities in the right order in our minds. Uh, let me, we still have some time, alhamdulillah. The Prophet ﷺ, when he guided Mu'adh ibn Jabal, when he asked him to go to uh, Yemen, uh, he told him, what should you start with? First, ud'uhum ila la ilaha illallah. Invite them to la ilaha illallah, to worship Allah alone. And if they obey you, move to the second step, which is teach them the salah. And if they obey you, if they obey you, go to the following step, which is zakah, and so on and so forth. And from this hadith, we can see the priorities made at the time of the Prophet Let me take you to a golden rule. 
that scholars say that Monisol might help you to uh, arrange the priorities. Whenever you are between two options, you don't know what to select, use this rule. No khayr al-khayrain wa al-sharrain. No, the best of the two things, as we said, salah is important and tawheed is important. But which one is more important? Tawheed is more important than salah. So start with tawheed. Salat is important, zakat is important. Which one you would say, would you advise a person to do the prayer before you advise him to do the zakat? So if you know this rule, khayrul khayray, and the same thing, sharrul shayray, which is the least of the two evils, which is the worst evil and the second evil. Of course, sometimes we need help, and I will try to make applications now on different levels, and I hope you have open hearts to listen to me. On the national level, on the governmental level, and on the group level, and on the individual level. I was, oh now I will take the governmental level, and get ready. I was giving a lecture uh, a month and a half ago in a different country, and uh, I gave open discussion for the people to discuss with each other. And I encourage the Muslims to be very courageous, because we need to be courageous. We need to be brave in handling the problems that we are facing now. We are not brave enough, by the way. And what you are going to hear might be very astonishing to you. One of the brothers was brave enough and he said that now we were discussing the same issue, the issue of priorities. And on the governmental level, it, it becomes very complicated and very complex. And he suggested, and like, I liked very much what he suggested. He said, now I want you to consider one of two options if you are on the level of a government, what option would you take? Had the government of Afghanistan handed bin Laden to the Saudi government? And the Saudi, for example, government would have executed him. Is this situation better? Or what happened at September 11 better? No comments? I think it's for the first time for you to hear such a question like that. Huh? You need what? To, re to hear it again? Yes. This is a very good answer. Had any one of you answered very quickly, yes, it wouldn't have been a good answer. It's a very complex issue. But now, but now, the situation, the answer might be very easy now. I think it's easier than we can give the answer before what happened at September 11. But I ask each one of you to think on a government level. If you are a president of a government, how would you think 
And now, after September 11, you would tell me which of the two... I don't need an answer, by the way. I didn't ask you. Yeah. I just want to make a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you will answer this yeah. I'm not going to answer it. I'm not going. You have reason to think. You have the wisdom. You have the Quran and the Sunnah. You have the golden rule. The least of the two evils. And the best of the two good things. And you can, I don't know whether you will be able to use it. And any government, it's a very tough situation. And it's not only the government. The government without the scholars can never come to a very good decision. And the role of the, the scholars would, would clarify things to the rulers. And then the rulers are the ones to take the decision. Especially if they are in a country that they have bay'ah to the government. But just to, to let you know how difficult these situations is. Now, I need your answer. Not about this question, because it's already passed. Now we will ask another question. Any invasion, five minutes. Yeah. A country threatened a Muslim country. Unless you help us get the fundamentalists that you live in your they live in your country, we will invade you as we invaded Iraq. Think on a government level and tell me what is the answer. Another answer. Say it again. Unless you help me, this is an invading country. One country, Japan is coming to threaten Japan is coming to threaten any poor country. Unless you help us do this, get the, those who were involved in September 11 and their followers, we are going to invade you as we invaded Iraq. Think about it. Think about it. The other question, which was really raised in the media, yes. Unless you do this, we will go and destroy the Kaaba. Unless you do this, we will go and destroy the Kaaba. Think of this. These are the things that, that tells you sometimes it's not easy and we, you need really very sincere scholars and you need guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take, to take decisions, correct decisions in these issues. Now forget about the, uh, the governmental level. Let's move to another level. Some organizations now, they put on their priorities among all the options that they have Islam. Some of them put the concept of Khilafa Islamiyyah on the top and they put aside all the other things in Islam. They said that they come later on. Another group, their main focus is whether this country or other Western countries are called Dar al-Harb or not. So their main focus is, it is Dar al-Harb, and if it is Dar al-Harb, so they have to do so and so and so. A third group put on their priority is that following the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. A third one said that Islam cannot be revived except by education and by tarbiyah. A, th a fifth one, 
their main job nowadays is backbiting Muslim scholars. Yes. Uh, another one, their main job now, their main priorities is the Quran. They say that we are Quraniyun and we'll put aside the Sunnah. Yeah. Another one uh, would say that our priority is knowledge and only knowledge. We, are, we, we don't do anything except to get the correct knowledge and the authentic knowledge. So there are many groups now, many Islamic groups, that have different priorities. I'm not saying whether they are in or out. Hopefully all of them they are, they are in. But uh, say that they have different priorities. And this is another problem. Now we'll come to the easiest option, which is the individual level. And I think this should be known by all of us. Parents, doctors, anyone should know that. You have a situation like this. A wife would tell you that either, either you leave the TV in my house or you divorce me. Select between the two options. Some people confront this situation, right? It's not something... You are in a situation that you see somebody wearing a Muslim a man wearing gold braces, right? Or wearing gold braces here or in any part of his body. Or wearing an ear ring or a nose ring or an eye ring. And I don't know what else. What, what ring is left here? <laughs> what, place, what place in the body is left without rings? I didn't know any. And he is not praying. You have your child, you found your child, all of a sudden you traveled a month and you came back to find all these rings in your child. And he's not praying. What would you do? What would you do? These are the priorities that we should, should at least, you know now the golden rule. What would you do? Huh? You want my answer? I gave you the rule. Huh? Salah. It's very simple. Start with him with the salah. Be patient with us. Be patient with us. You know that the Prophet ﷺ, you know that Abu Sufyan he didn't have a problem with La ilaha illallah. He had a problem in the beginning before becoming a Muslim. He had a problem that Muhammad is the messenger. He didn't have a problem with the first part because he was a leader in Arabia and he wanted to be a leader. And he thought that by confessing that Muhammad is Rasulullah Muhammad would take the leadership from him. So he had a problem with that. And Prophet Muhammad understood this problem. And that's why he dealt it very subtly. When he entered Mecca, you know what he said. So he gave Abu Sufyan a great prestige. So this pleased Abu Sufyan radiallahu anhu. Yes. And after that, when Abu Sufyan knew Islam very well, he understood that it's not a matter of leadership. It's a matter of responsibility and hisab in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet sallallahu handled it in, with this hikmah. That's what we need to. Lots of parents rush, and I wish that we have lots of parents now. We have quite a good number, but this is not enough. And I, went, I want you next time, next time, when we have this conference, 
bring your parents with you. If you do this, we are making a very good dawah. Bring your youngest child, right, the youngest brother or youngest child, uh, and bring your parent with you. Because we want to fill the gaps between them. We know that there are some problems are done by the kids, and some problems are done by the parents. Yes. And we heard one of them yesterday when an imam of a mosque insists that women uh, would not come to the mosque. Huh? And even the priest said that, I read the Quran and the Sunnah and I found nothing that prevents women from coming to the mosque. But the imam of the mosque, because of cultural issues, insists on that. And we need to have those imams and those parents here to tell them what you are doing is something that's cultural. It has nothing to do with Islam. We need to confront them. If you cannot tell them the message, we here can give them the message. And I'm sure that lots of them here now, and they get the message from us. There is something different between Islam and culture. And this is one of the challenges that we have to do to separate uh, between these two. There are many examples here on the individual level. Let me give you this simple, simple option that lots of people fail to take it. The option to take, to buy a house by mortgage and riba, an option of renting a house. Which is the least of the two evils? Renting a house. How many of you are renting houses? Raise your hand. I understand the others are buying houses, right? No comment. But you see, this is a very simple decision. But it's still, lots of Muslims have problem with that. Lots of Muslims. They would try to look for one scholar somewhere in the world who said that that's okay. And they take this one Dalil or one Hujjah of the Shaykh versus the one million Hujjahs of other scholars that they would say that it is haram. No, 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 no. There is only one who said that and we are going to take this one. In fact, they are following their own whims and wishes. This is a very simple option to tell you that the priorities in the minds of Muslims need to be, how do you call it, reshuffled. Uh, would you like me to continue or I will open the floor for you to ask some questions. Uh, I beg your pardon? What about the what? I think you know the option. It's not the wife and the TV, it's, it's the TV and the divorce. <laughs> yeah, so I think you read me incorrectly. Uh, finally, I would say that uh, if, if what I said is the truth, so I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for guiding me to say it. If what I said is wrong, it's from me and from my lack of knowledge and from my shaitan. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive me. And I'll open the floor for discussions. And I need the help of some scholars if they are here. Sheikh Salim Al-Amri, come and defend me. <laughs> yes, we open the floor for discussion. Jazakallah khair. Just uh, before we move on to questions. Let's, let's uh, first, have, if you want to sum up. All um, these questions yeah, from yesterday? Questions. We got questions from yesterday. These are from today, actually. <laughs> We have about uh, 15 minutes, so I won't sum up because we're a bit short of time, and we'll go straight into the Q&A. And uh, 
before we do that, make just some quick announcements. Lunch will be at 12.15, so we'll aim to close about 12.10. Prayers will be at 2 o'clock and the seminars at 2.30. The seminar A is the part 3 of Practical Dawah, Introducing and Explaining Islam by Sheikh Shabir Ali, and that's at Digby Hall. Uh, seminar B, part three, The Righteous Family, the home by Sheikh Sueb Hassan and Sheikh Anwar Awlaki at Gilbert Murray. And seminar three, which is a part three, seminar C, which is part three, is Social Ills and Their Cures by Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick, and that will be in this hall here. So, inshallah, if we take a couple of questions, and we'll take maybe two or three at a time because we're short of time from the floor, and then we'll take some from the piece of paper. So can we have the gentleman in white at the back, uh, followed by... So all of them are in white. Right. <laughs> yeah. The one standing beside you, and the two gentlemen just behind him as well. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, Sheikh, for a very interesting and enlightening um, lecture. My question is... Uh, are you listening, Sheikh? Yes, I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> I'm writing. I'm writing. Okay. Listening and writing. Alhamdulillah. See? Uh, One step ahead of you. Jazakumullah. Uh, Alhamdulillah. Yes. In relation to following the sunnah of the Prophet, let, let me hear you. Yes, go ahead again. In relation to following the sunnah of the Prophet, uh, we know that uh, the first thing he did when he went to Medina was to build a masjid to unite the people to their Lord. Okay. This is in Medina. You forgot the whole 13 years in Mecca. No, for the moment. Okay, sure. for the moment. Because yes. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find out how we can build an Islamic uh, society. Okay. Now, uh, so the first thing was to build a masjid to unite the people, to uh, link the people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After that, he, he forged a brotherhood uh, uh, between the Ansar and the Muhajir. So my question is, uh, should not brotherhood, because now we have many masjids, we don't need to build masjids, shouldn't the brotherhood be prioritized in building a new Islamic state? Because this was the most second most important thing he did. Jazakumullah khair. Building an Islamic state? Uh, uniting the brotherhood in order to oh, build big, the big difference between a uniting the brother no. and building an Islamic state. No, because the, unite, the uniting of the brother will, will automatically build the Islamic state. Yes, it will be a step for building an Islamic state. No. If you can build an Islamic state today before yesterday, do it. We, we, we don't object to you at all. In fact, we <laughs> encourage you. Anywhere in the world, if you can build an Islamic state, do that. But uh, uh, are we using the, the, the real steps to achieve that? And as I said, that for the time being, he said that we will forget the 13 years of teaching about Tawheed and teaching about Aqaid and then after that teaching the Halal and Haram. So we jumped and we skipped 13 years of life. We want to jump to this directly. I think we need to work on this. Uh, very important. Secondly, do, don't we need mosques? I think if you think that we don't need more mosques in England, raise your hand. If we don't need... If we don't need, see, three hands, three hands, four hands, five hands, some people. Oh no, I, I'm saying that. Do we still need to get more masjids now? If you say yes, raise your hand. Yes. It's very, very obvious. 
If you calculate the number of Muslims and you divide them by the number of mosques now, you would find that definitely we need that. But we don't really just don't need to get the buildings. We need to get some education and teaching there. That's what we need. And yesterday we, we got the question that we said that some mosques are control, controlled by uh, old age people or some imams that they don't allow the new ones to, to get them. This is a stage that we have to live. And we know that, should know that we have to be patient. We should not clash with each other. We should let this pass. If you can want to change people, I think what we, we did in Indonesia, I worked in Indonesia for some time, and we had lots of students that they were sons of scholars on their own level, or at their own level. And the, one of my tips to them is said, it's okay, don't go home and start clashing with your father because you already something that uh, is contradicting what your father had for whatever reason. And I advise them, take the books with you. Don't argue with your father at all. Leave the books there. Stay your vacation there a couple of weeks or three weeks or something. Then come back and leave the books there. Your father will be confronted with the books. They have interest in seeking knowledge. They will read the books without losing their face in front of you. So they will start learning things. After two or three months, we started finding those parents coming to the school that I worked at and getting into the library and getting more knowledge instead of clashing with their kids. You have to look for smart ways of changing people without clashing. That's what we are looking for. We don't want to clash with them. We know that some of them have wrong things, that as we have some wrong things, and we need to change each other. We look for the best way. So I would think that we need Bina al-Masajid, and at the same time, we need to strengthen the spirit of brotherhood at the same time. At the same time, we would never say, because we already have Masajid, we would never say that we will finish building 200 mosques here, and then after that, we will start strengthening the brotherhood. No, we would say that they go at the same time. And I think one of the benefits of these conferences is that they strengthen the relationship between each other. And if you don't do this, if you don't go back with new people that you knew here, and you try to have connection with them to strengthen the brother, the spirit of brotherhood and sisterhood, I think you would be mistaken. This should be one of the goals that each one of us would have. I myself did this with, the, with some people, some participants, and some scholars that whom for the first time I have met here. Yes. We'll just take some written questions. I'll give the Sheikh this one because it's in Arabic, and since it's the first one I've seen in Arabic, I'll let him uh, have a read of that. And this, this should be given the first priority because it's in Arabic, right? Some people something, will object. Right? Different. Right or wrong? If you say wrong, raise your hand. So anyway, a few hands. جزاكم الله خيرا للحضور ونشكر الله استفادتنا منكم الحمد لله. البعض يقول إن الشيطان كان متمثلا في شكل بني آدم في عصر الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم وذلك وكذلك يقال إن بعض الناس الآن موجودين في الدنيا على الأرض يفسد ويضل الآخرين. أي أنهم بالفعل شياطين مسخرين لتلك المهمة هل هذا صحيح؟ It's very the the question is some people say that at the time of the prophet the Satan was in the form of a man 
uh, is the Satan in the form of a man nowadays that they corrupt on the earth? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it in the Quran, very simple, and all of you memorize this verse. The last two words in the Quran, what are they? Min al jinnati wan nas. Qul a'udhu bi rabbin nasi, malikin nasi, ilahin nas, min sharri al-waswas al-khannas, alladhi yuwaswasu fi sudur al-nas, min al jinnati, from the jinn, and from the nas, from the human beings. So human beings whisper to us, they corrupt us as the shaitan or the jinn uh, corrupts us. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Yeah. Let me just read a few, a few from here. By, by the way, also, there are lots of shayateen speak Arabic very well. Al-A'rab, yes, yes. Al-A'rab, the Bedouin. Uh, this is the way how to we read the Quran. We'll, we'll, we'll leave you for the other. Okay. We yes. have a very important comment here. It says there's some of us who do not understand words like Tawheed, like Tawheed, Akida, etc., and regard this as, as phrases. If we're here to increase our knowledge, and we politely ask that you, as a speaker, translate these words when you use them. I think it's just perhaps for, for the newer people and people who don't speak Arabic. Okay. Okay, I'm going to run through just a few at okay. once, and if you can pick up the salient points. Assalamu alaikum. Throughout the past two days, you have mentioned the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the women's hall when the blessed Prophet Muhammad's name is mentioned, but only a few women say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Can you please give the benefits of sending prophets, sorry, sending Salams on the Prophet Muhammad when his name is mentioned. We have someone in our family who left Islam and married a non-Muslim. She has now returned and, and said that she and her family have accepted Islam. However, they do not follow Islam. The more we try and teach them, the more they rebel. What should we do? The kids? Uh, no, it's a family. Uh, one of the sisters went and married a non-Muslim. And she came back to the family and said all the family have entered Islam. But when they try to teach them about Islam, they're not listening and they're rebelling. So what the family of the husband? Uh, the, the sister who went and married the non-Muslim and her husband and family. So they said they've become Muslim, but when this family, the Muslim family, is trying to teach them about Islam, they're not listening and they're rebelling. I have the knowledge of Islam. It was easy to follow Islam and Sunnah back home amongst the company of the pious. But here we find it difficult. How can we be among the pious people here as much as we want to be? Come to more conferences like this, I think, is the answer to that question. If to non-Muslims you give dawah by starting with Tawheed, how do we give dawah to Muslims who have tawheed in their hearts but do, they do not abide by the halal and haram. So I think we'll take those here. We have a lot of questions and we have a lot of questions throughout the day so perhaps we can ask the organizers to put some kind of um, uh, process in place where people can e either leave their email so that all these questions can be answered by the scholars and sent on because it's quite difficult to get through. Uh, it's very good to be asked some of these questions such as knowing uh, these terms like uh, Tawheed and Fitra. And I think that uh, it seems that, alhamdulillah, the brother or the sister who asked this question, uh, this is the first time for them to attend some conferences uh, like this or 
there is really a problem of a lack of teaching. It means that we don't teach people, we don't teach Muslims their religion. Tawheed means singling out Allah by worshipping Him alone without associating anyone else.